Chapter 11, Part 1 of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Estates in Possession, Remainder, and Reversion, Part 1. Hitherto we have considered estates solely with regard to their duration, or the quantity of interest which the owners have therein. We are now to consider them in another view, with regard to the time of their enjoyment, when the actual pertinency of the profits, that is, the taking, perception, or receipt of the rents and other advantages arising therefrom, begins. States, therefore, with respect to this consideration, may be either in possession or in expectancy. And of expectancies, there are two sorts, one created by the act of the parties, called a remainder, the other by act of law, called a reversion. 1. Of estates in possession, which are sometimes called estates executed, whereby a present interest passes to and resides in the tenant, not depending on any subsequent circumstance or contingency, as in the case of estates executory, there is little or nothing peculiar to be observed. All the estates we have hitherto spoken of are of this kind. For, in laying down general rules, we usually apply them to such estates as are then actually in the tenant's possession. But the doctrine of estates in expectancy contains some of the nicest and most abstruse learning in the English law. These will therefore require a minute discussion and demand some degree of attention. 2. An estate then in remainder may be defined to be an estate limited to take effect and be enjoyed after another estate is determined. As if a man fiefed in fee simple granteth lands to A for twenty years, and, after the determination of the said term, then to B and his heirs forever. Here A is tenant for years, remainder to B in fee. In the first place, an estate for years is created or carved out of the fee and given to A, and the residue or remainder of it is given to B. But both these interests are in fact only one estate. The present term of years and the remainder afterwards, when added together, being equal only to one estate in fee. They are indeed different parts, but they constitute only one whole. They are carved out of one and the same inheritance. They are both created and may both subsist together, the one in possession, the other in expectancy. So if land be granted to A for twenty years, and after the determination of the said term to B for life, and after the determination of B's estate for life, it be limited to C and his heirs forever, this makes A tenant for years, with the remainder to B for life, remainder over to C in fee. Now here the estate of inheritance undergoes a division into three portions. There is first A's estate for years carved out of it, and after that B's estate for life, and then 
The whole that remains is limited to C and his heirs. And here also, the first estate and both the remainders, for life and in fee, are one estate only, being nothing but parts or portions of one entire inheritance. And if there were a hundred remainders, it would still be the same thing, upon a principle grounded on mathematical truth, that all the parts are equal, and no more than equal, to the whole. And hence also, it is easy to collect that no remainder can be limited after the grant of an estate in fee simple. Because fee simple is the highest and largest estate that a subject is capable of enjoying, and he that is tenant in fee hath in him the whole of the estate. A remainder, therefore, which is only a portion or residuary part of the estate, cannot be reserved after the whole is disposed of. A particular estate, with all the remainders expectant thereon, is only one fee simple, as 40 pounds is part of 100 pounds, and 60 pounds is the remainder of it. Wherefore, after a fee simple once vested, there can no more be a remainder limited thereon than after the whole 100 pounds is appropriated, there can be any residue subsisting. Thus much being premised, we shall be the better enabled to comprehend the rules that are laid down by law to be observed in the creation of remainders and the reasons upon which those rules are founded. 1. And, first, there must necessarily be some particular estate precedent to the estate in remainder. As, an estate for years to A, remainder to B for life, or an estate for life to A, remainder to B entail. This precedent estate is called the particular estate, as being only a small part, or particula, of the inheritance, the residue or remainder of which is granted over to another. The necessity of creating this preceding particular estate in order to make a good remainder arises from this plain reason, that remainder is a relative expression and implies that some part of the thing is previously disposed of. For, where the whole is conveyed at once, there cannot possibly exist a remainder. But the interest granted, whatever it be, will be an estate in possession. An estate created to commence at a distant period of time, without any intervening estate, is therefore properly no remainder. It is the whole of the gift and not a residuary part. And such future estates can only be made of chattel interests which were considered in the light of mere contracts by the ancient law to be executed either now or hereafter as the contracting parties should agree. But an estate of freehold must be created to commence immediately. For it is an ancient rule of the common law that no estate of freehold can be created to commence in futuro, but ought to take effect presently either in possession or remainder, because at common law no freehold in lands could pass without livery of sizin, which must operate either immediately or not at all. It would therefore be contradictory if an estate which is not to commence till hereafter, could be granted by a conveyance which imports an immediate possession. Therefore, 
though a lease to A for seven years, to commence from next Michaelmas is good, yet a conveyance to B of lands, to hold to him and his heirs forever from the end of three years next ensuing, is void. So that when it is intended to grant an estate of freehold, whereof the enjoyment shall be deferred till a future time, it is necessary to create a previous particular estate which may subsist till that period of time is completed, and for the grantor to deliver immediate possession of the land to the tenant of this particular estate, which is continued to be giving possession to him in remainder since his estate and that of the particular tenant are one and the same estate in law as where one leases to A for three years with remainder to B in fee and makes livery of sizen to A. Here by the livery, the freehold is immediately created and vested in B during the continuance of A's term of years. The whole estate passes at once from the grantor to the grantees and the remainder man is fiefed of his remainder at the same time that the termor is possessed of his term. The enjoyment of it must indeed be deferred till hereafter, but it is, to all intents and purposes, an estate commencing in presenti, though to be occupied and enjoyed in futuro. As no remainder can be created without such a precedent particular estate, therefore the particular estate is said to support the remainder. But a lease at will is not held to be such a particular estate as will support a remainder over. For an estate at will is of a nature so slender and precarious that it is not looked upon as a portion of the inheritance, and a portion must first be taken out of it in order to constitute a remainder. Besides, if it be a freehold remainder, livery of sizen must be given at the time of its creation and the entry of the grantor to do this determines the estate at will in the very instant in which it is made, or if it to be a chattel interest, though perhaps it might operate as a future contract, if the tenant for years be a party to the deed of creation, yet it is void by way of remainder, for it is a separate independent contract distinct from the precedent estate at will and every remainder must be part of one and the same estate out of which the preceding particular estate is taken. And hence, it is generally true that if the particular estate is void in its creation, or by any means is defeated afterwards, the remainder supported thereby shall be defeated also, as where the particular estate is an estate for the life of a person not in esse, or an estate for life upon condition, on breach of which condition the grantor enters and avoids the estate, in either of these cases the remainder over is void. 2. A second rule to be observed is this, that the remainder must commence or pass out of the grantor at the time of the creation of the particular estate. As, where there is an estate to A for life, with remainder to B in fee. Here B's remainder in fee passes from the grantor at the same time that Sizen is delivered to A of his estate in possession. And it is this 
which induces the necessity at common law of livery of sizin being made on the particular estate whenever a freehold remainder is created. 4. If it be limited even on an estate for years, it is necessary that the lessee for years should have livery of sizin in order to convey the freehold from and out of the grantor, otherwise the remainder is void. Not that the livery is necessary to strengthen the estate for years, but as livery of the land is requisite to convey the freehold and yet cannot be given to him in remainder without infringing the possession of the lessee for years, therefore the law allows such livery made to the tenant of the particular estate to relate and inure him in remainder as both are but one estate in law. 3. A third rule respecting remainders is this, that the remainder must vest in the grantee during the continuance of the particular estate, or eo instante, that it determines. As, if A be tenant for life, remainder to be entail, here B's remainder is vested in him, at the creation of the particular estate to A for life. Or, if A and B be tenants for their joint lives, remainder to the survivor in fee, here, though during their joint lives the remainder is vested in neither, yet on the death of either of them, the remainder vests instantly in the survivor, wherefore both these are good remainders. But if an estate be limited to A for life, remainder to the eldest son of B in tail, and A dies before B hath any son, here the remainder will be void, for it did not vest in anyone during the continuance, nor at the determination of the particular estate. And, even supposing that B should afterwards have a son, he shall not take by this remainder. For, as it did not vest at or before the end of the particular estate, it never can vest at all, but is gone forever. And this depends upon the principle before laid down, that the precedent particular estate and the remainder are one estate in law. They must therefore subsist and be in esse at one and the same instant of time, either during the continuance of the first estate or at the very instant when that determines, so that no other estate can possibly come between them. For there can be no intervening estate between the particular estate and the remainder supported thereby. The thing supported must fall to the ground if once its support be severed from it. It is upon these rules, but principally the last, that the doctrine of contingent remainders depends. For remainders are either vested or contingent. Vested remainders, or remainders executed, whereby a present interest passes to the party, though to be enjoyed in futuro, are where the estate is invariably fixed to remain to a determinate person after the particular estate is spent. As if A be tenant for twenty years, remainder to be in fee. Here B's is a vested remainder, which nothing can defeat or set aside contingent or executory remainders, whereby no present interest passes, are where the estate and remainder is limited to take effect, either to a dubious and uncertain person, or upon a dubious and uncertain event, 
so that the particular estate may chance to be determined and the remainder never take effect. First, they may be limited to a dubious and uncertain person. As if A be tenant for life, with remainder to B's eldest son then unborn in tail. This is a contingent remainder, for it is uncertain whether B will have a son or no, but the instant that a son is born, the remainder is no longer contingent, but vested. Though, if A had died before the contingency happened, that is, before B's son was born, the remainder would have been absolutely gone, for the particular estate was determined before the remainder could vest. Nay, by the strict rule of law, if A were tenant for life, remainder to his own eldest son and tail, and A died without issue born, but leaving his wife and faint or big with child, and after his death a posthumous son was born, this son could not take the land by virtue of this remainder. For the particular estate determined before there was any person in essay in whom the remainder could vest. But to remedy this hardship, it is enacted by statute 10 and 11, William III, C16, that posthumous children shall be capable of taking in remainder in the same manner as if they had been born in their father's lifetime. That is, the remainder is allowed to vest in them while yet in their mother's womb. This species of contingent remainders to a person not in being must, however, be limited to someone that may by common possibility or potentia propinqua be in esse at or before the particular estate determines. As if an estate be made to A for life, remainder to the heirs of B. Now, if A dies before B, the remainder is at an end, for during B's life he has no heir, nema est aeris viventis. But if B dies first, the remainder then immediately vests in his heir, who will be entitled to the land on the death of A. This is a good contingent remainder, for the possibility of B's dying before A is potentia propinqua and therefore allowed in law. But a remainder to the right heirs of B, if there be no such person as B in esse, is void. For here there must two contingencies happen. First, that such a person as B shall be born, and secondly, that he shall also die during the continuance of the particular estate, which make it a potentia remotissima, a most improbable possibility. A remainder to a man's eldest son, who hath none, we have seen, is good, for by common possibility he may have one. But if it be limited, in particular, to his son John or Richard, it is bad, if he have no son of that name. For it is too remote a possibility that he should not only have a son, but a son of a particular name. A limitation of a remainder to a bastard before it is born is not good. For though the law allows the possibility of having bastards, it presumes it to be a very remote and improbable contingency. Thus may a remainder be contingent on account of uncertainty of the person who is to take it. A remainder may also be contingent where the person to whom it is limited is fixed and certain 
but the event upon which it is to take effect is vague and uncertain. As where land is given to A for life, and in case B survives him, then with the remainder to B in fee. Here B is a certain person, but the remainder to him is a contingent remainder dependent upon a dubious event, the uncertainty of his surviving A. During the joint lives of A and B, it is contingent, and if B dies first, it never can vest in his heirs, but is forever gone. But if A dies first, the remainder to B becomes vested. Contingent remainders of either kind, if they amount to a freehold, cannot be limited on an estate for years or any other particular estate less than a freehold. Thus, if land be granted to A for 10 years, with remainder in fee to the right heirs of B, this remainder is void. But if granted to A for life, with a like reminder, it is good. For unless the freehold passes out of the grantor at the time when the remainder is created, such freehold remainder is void. It cannot pass out of him without vesting somewhere, and in the case of a contingent remainder it must vest in the particular tenant, else it can vest nowhere, unless therefore the estate of such particular tenant be of a freehold nature, the freehold cannot vest in him, and consequently the remainder is void. End of chapter 11, part 1